to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Thanks for being here. As you uh, just heard, we're going to start a series today on marriage. And I, I want to just say some preliminary, preliminary remarks before we get into this. Uh, I'm excited about this. In 30 plus years of ministry, I have never preached a marriage series. I have talked about marriage. I've talked about principles of marriage. I've taught marriage classes. I've done marriage seminars. I've done marriage seminars in other churches. Uh, Two years in a row, went down to Myrtle Beach and did a seminar there. Like I said, two years in a row. So I've just, but I've never brought it to the pulpit. What I want to say today is I'm not doing a marriage seminar. I want to preach on marriage. But at the same time, I want us to, like we do every Sunday, learn about marriage and learn principles of marriage. I want to say some things today because if you are here today and you're not married, you may think, okay, so why am I here and do I need to be here the next two Sundays? Absolutely. The answer is yes. And if you're not, we're going to send a search party out for you. I'm going to get the Greenville County Sheriff to come to your house and put you in the back of the cruiser and bring you to church. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But you need to be here. Let me tell you reasons why. Number one, if you're single and you desire to get married, this will be good for you because this can be preparatory. This can, you can learn some principles and understanding of what marriage is all about. If you grew up in a home with a single parent, and so there wasn't a marriage there for you to watch, or if you grew up in a home with a dysfunctional marriage, and there might be some learned behavior that's negative learned behavior that you glean from growing up in that dysfunctional marriage. We need to get rid of that. We need to eliminate that. We need to counteract that with positive behavior. And so by listening and and learning, you can learn how a functional marriage operates. Um, If you are just in any kind of relationship, there are deeper principles that I'm going to talk about today that you can carry beyond a marital relationship just into life in general. And so I think you'll learn some things that will help you just when dealing with people and dealing with relationships. Finally, we, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the Bible tells us that that the marriage relationship is a symbol, a representation of the relationship that Jesus has with the church and to be specific, that Jesus has with you. So everybody here can glean from this that we can learn how to better relate to Christ, who is our husband, or will be our husband. He's the groom. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. But when I get, now I got a lot to cover, and it'll be probably one of the longest, longest messages that I've preached. And so, uh, and we tried to cut some things short today, but I just couldn't find much to cut out. But I do wanna just share some things. I just thought I would tell some funny stories. Uh, Leah is not here today, so I can talk about her. She, she went to Florida with her best friend, spent the week, and she's coming back today, and she knows I'm doing this series. But I just want to tell you a funny story. Leah and I will celebrate 31 years of marriage this coming June. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's worth celebrating. 31 years. And uh, if you don't think you can make it, you can. When we were in our 18th year, I looked at her and I said, babe, I said, we're about to celebrate 18 years of marriage. And with the straightest look on her face, she looked at me and said, that is entirely too long to be married to the same person. I said, shut up. And so we, we give each other a hard time. I got to tell you a funny story. When we got married, we got married on June 4th, 1988, and it was in, in Doraville. 
And uh, my mom and dad are here today. I'm so glad got to, dad, dad got to make it today because dad and Leah's dad, Jim, officiated the wedding. Do you remember that, dad? Uh, all those 31 years ago. And so Pop's up there and Jim's up there, my father-in-law. And uh, at this point in the ceremony, we had a great ceremony. It was beautiful. And all our college friends were on our, the bridal party, the, the, the wedding party. And my best friend was my best man. So it was just, it was a big day and all our family was there. It was just, the, the church was packed. Uh, we just, it was a big event. Leah and I sang a duet. Isn't that sweet? You want to say, aw? Aw. Yeah, we did. We sang a duet when we got married. It was just the coolest thing. Then we got to the vows. And we didn't do the traditional vows. We picked a special set of vows. And so it was Jim's turn to, to, to help do that. And so you know how it is. The minister says, repeat after me. And so I did my, you know, my part. And, and, I, and I got mine done fine. And I'm beaming. I'm like, and then he gets to his daughter. And he begins, and, she, and, and Leah, as she begins to say the vows, she starts breaking up. Tears get in her eyes. And I'm thinking, oh God, she's, she's wanting to get out of it. I'm in trouble. This is not good. And she's crying and she's getting, and, and, and it's getting worse. And she's trying to get the words out. And then the line was, he would say, you know, he said, repeat after me, I give my heart. And she said, I give my heart. And that's how it came out. Just like that. I give my heart. And, and it's on video. I have evidence and everything. And for 31 years, I have given, given her a hard time. Every once in a while, I look at her and I say, I give my heart. And she'll say, shut up. And she's all crying. And Jim stood there and he said, I wish my daughter wouldn't do this to me. And I thought he was going to get tore up. The best part of that whole thing is, though, and we have this on video, when, when, the, when it was over and the reception was taking place and Dad and Jim are standing up there on stage, we have this on video. As a matter of fact, we were at their house later at some point in time. We, you know, we, we were watching it with all the family. Jim wouldn't come in the room. It killed him that I married his only daughter. It tore him out of his frame. He could not take it. And so we're, we're, we're watching it in the room and, and Rachel's in there, Joel, everybody's, we're watching. And about the time he walked in the room, this happened. The wedding's over, the processional's happening, the music's playing. The videographer focuses in on my dad. And you all here saw my dad. You know, my dad's class act, man. He's like, he's just top notch. Dad's standing there and he's, he's looking sharp and he's beaming, he's smiling, his son's gotten married. And then the videographer pans to my father-in-law. He looks like he's at a funeral. There's no smile on his face whatsoever. He looks like somebody's just, it's terrible. Well, about the time that came on the video, he walked in the room and we all turned around, just died laughing. He never said a word, didn't defend himself. He just turned around, walked back out of the room. I said, I'm killing him, I'm killing him. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that. We're gonna talk about marriage today. Um, the most important decision that you will ever make is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. The second most important decision you'll ever make is if you decide to get married and to whom you get married. It's the second most important decision you'll ever make. The most important relationship in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. No, none other. But if you're married... The second most important relationship is your marital relationship, okay? It is, it is beyond any other race relationship that you have. From a human standpoint, uh, on a human level, the marriage relationship is the most intimate of all relationships. It supersedes your relationship with your parents. Uh, the Bible says that a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I have seen people get married and then one spouse keep an unbelievable connection with their parents to the point that the other spouse felt like it was equal. And that's not the way it should be. 
you are starting a whole nother family unit and that relationship supersedes your relationship with your parents. It also supersedes and outlasts your relationship with your children. I have seen people get married and then have children and one spouse gravitate their life revolved around their child rather than their spouse. And that's not, it's not supposed to be that way either because your children one day will leave. At least you hope. <laughs> On a spiritual level, the marriage relationship serves as a picture of God's relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, at times, God would paint a picture of himself being a husband to the nation of Israel. They would be the wife. In the New Testament, we have this image of Christ is the groom and the church is the bride, and we are destined for a wedding that will take place one day where he will be the husband and we will be his wife for all eternity. So this is a very important issue. What I want to talk about today is the difference between a contract and a covenant. The reason I do that is because having been in the ministry for so many years and watching the divorce, divorce rate be as high as it has been for decades now, it is obvious that people are getting married and they don't understand what they're getting into. And, they're, and, if, and in their minds, they think what they're getting into is a contract, but it's not. Marriage is a covenant, and that's my whole point today, is that marriage is a covenant relationship. You need to know what a covenant is. You need to know its difference from a contract because God designed marriage to be a covenant relationship. So let's talk about contracts. Um, ours is a contract-oriented society, right? Rental contracts, sales contracts, service contracts. This is a room full of adults, and most likely uh, all of us to some degree have entered into a contract of some sort, signed on the dotted line. What is a contract? It's an agreement between two or more persons specifying, listen now, that one person will do something if the other person will do something. Now think about that. One person will do something if the other person will do something, okay? So the bank allows me to drive my F-150 truck if I make the monthly payments. But if I fail to make the monthly payments, they have the legal right to repossess my truck and take it back and the contract is ended, okay? And some contracts, I, just, I want to just kind of go off a rabbit trail for a minute. Um, some contracts are legally binding. Lots of contracts are legally binding, but there are contracts that are morally binding. Did you know that? And let me tell you what I mean. In, in marriage, you can have a verbal informal agreement with each other and that creates a informal contract, all right? Now, what's important is you have to feel a sense of moral responsibility uh, to keep your end of the bargain. So I wanna say this because this is very important because I'm talking to a room that is filled with, with believers who have been born again. You ready for this? A an informal contract is only as good as the character of the persons who make it. All right, so let me, let me tell you how that works in marriage, okay? Um, informal contractual agreements in marriage are common. It'll go like this. If you put the kids to bed, um, I'll clean the kitchen. That, that's an informal contract. If you will mop and dust, I'll mow the grass and trim the bushes. 
We do that in marriage all the time. And it's very, very common and it's very necessary because it's part of a couple's life. It helps us to get things done. It helps us uh, use our different abilities and interests to our mutual benefit. So what I want you to see is you can have mutual, beneficial, informal, verbal contracts within the context of a covenant marriage. But you don't want to have a contract marriage. Now, before I get into that, one more thing. Many relationships have been fractured or broken because someone failed to keep their side of the informal verbal agreement. And when that happens in a marriage, it becomes the source of arguments, accusations, frustration, hurt, disappointment, uh, uh, verbal abuse. Why? Because you are to have a moral responsibility that if you say you're going to do something, you've got to keep it. That's what keeps the marriage foundation of trust alive. And that's why as a child of God, your word should be good that if you tell your spouse you're going to do something, you should do it. And so that, that's a part of the marriage. And so I just want you to see that. One more thing I want to say before we get into contracts um, legally, marriage is a contract with certain rights and responsibilities. It's a legal document, okay? So I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Yesterday, I performed a wedding in Hodges at the Cokesbury College. We had a couple from our church here. Yesterday was their big day. And so we were there, and when it was over, the director came to me with the marriage license, and I filled out the marriage license, gave them their copy, and right now the other two copies are sealed in an envelope in my study, and tomorrow will go in the mail because they've got to get to Anderson County to the probate court. That's why if we didn't have regulations, there would be chaos. And so you have to have laws and rules and regulations. That's why we have uh, probate court and marriage license and unfortunately divorce court, okay? So it is legal, but here's the problem. Whenever you view marriage as only a contract or as a series of contracts, that's a secular viewpoint. That is not a biblical viewpoint the biblical view of marriage is that it is a covenant. Now, I'm gonna show you what that is in just a minute. But before I do that, there's one last thing I wanna do with contracts. I'm gonna show you two characteristics of contracts that, that will explain why you cannot have marriage built on a contract. All right, here's the first one. Most often, contracts are made for a limited period of time. All right? For example, if you're in, a, if you're in an, an apartment you got a, a lease. It's usually, what, six months, a year, right? You sign, and you're committed for a year. And you make the monthly payments, and, and you're in. It's for a limited period of time. If you break the contract, there's a penalty. So my understanding is if you break that contract, try to get out of it earlier, then you lose a deposit, and I think you made a month's payment, or you lose all that, okay? That's how it works. But it's just for a limited period of time. Here's what happens. You, you do like I did yesterday and you get before a couple and they're saying the vows and they're saying yes for richer, for poor and sickness and health till death do us part. So long as you both shall live. I do, I do, pastor, I do. And so we're saying that in our mind or out with our mouth, but in our mind, this is what's happening in America. We're thinking, no, what I'm really thinking is I'm committed to you so long as this relationship is mutually beneficial. And if at some point it is no longer benefiting me, I'm going to break this contract and I'm willing to suffer the penalty. 
And, and, and if that's what it takes, and I'm not, it's not benefiting me anymore, it's over. It's done, okay? And we'll just sell everything and split the money and you can get the kids one weekend and I'll get the kids the next or we'll have joint custody or you get custody. However all that's gonna work, there's a price to pay, understand that, but I want out. That's because see, in your mind, you're not thinking for forever. You say forever, okay? But in your mind, you're, you're thinking, no, it, it, it's, it's forever only if, only if it's it's only if it's gonna only if this thing can work. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. <laughs> I'm hoping it will. I'm really hoping. You know, my mom and dad made it 52 years. I don't know. You know, I don't know. But, but how'd your parents make it 52 years? Guarantee you, they had a con- covenant. There's a covenant. Okay. So here's the problem with the contract mentality: is when times get rough, the first thought is divorce. Now you'll try. You'll try. You'll try, if it's not working too good. And you know, by the way, I found out that most couples enter into marriage and they have absolutely no tools or they have two or three tools and they're using a hammer trying to screw in a screw or they're trying to use a screwdriver to drive in a nail. We've got the wrong tools. So many people are unprepared for marriage. And so what you do is you reach back to what your parents did. And if your parents had a good marriage, that can help. But if your spouse's personality is the total opposite of your mother's and you expect her to act like your mother, you're in trouble. Right? And then you'll say the dumbest thing in the world. You say, well, my mama never acted like that. Oh, Jesus. You fixing to have World War Three? Okay? And, but you try. You try. You say, oh, man, I didn't, man, we never, we dated. She never did that. Okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go and let it slide. Maybe that's just, you know, maybe she's having a bad day. I never heard him. He never did that before. But, you know, I'm, okay, maybe that was just a fluke. And so you let, you know, if you don't make your payment, the bank, they'll, they'll, They'll notify you. They'll say, okay, you know, we need to, we need to work on this. You owe us. And we'll work with you. And, and then two, two payments slide by, and they'll, they'll send you a letter. They'll say, now you owe us two payments. And then that doesn't work. You may get a phone call, but, and, then, and then the collection agency's on you. See? And then if that doesn't work, in the middle of the night, somebody will come repossess your car. You wake up the next morning, and your truck's gone. That's how it works. So here's my point. We do the same thing in marriage. We give it a try. Doesn't work. Give it a couple more tries. When it doesn't work, we say, you know what? This, I'm out. I'm out. This is over. That's a contract mentality. And that's the problem is you're not thinking forever. You think divorce. Here's the second thing about a contract. Most often it deals with specific actions. It's the if-then mentality. So in the business world, if you sign this one-year contract, make monthly payments, we'll give you a free phone and there'll be no roaming fees. You know, that kind of thing. If, then. In marriage, here's how that translates. If you meet my needs, then I'll meet your needs. If you make me happy, then I'll make you happy. And then we'll have a great marriage. And here's the problem. The relationship is based on the premise that I am willing to give only if I can get something in return. Y'all, that is not marriage and that's a contract that's a business deal if then you ever struck a deal with anybody sure you have you ever said let's shake on it you ever done that you ever struck a deal let's shake on it and a man's word is as good as his handshake and a man's word you know so you shake hands with it struck a deal you'd be amazed the number of couples who are coming to the platform to get married 
and saying all the right words, but in their mind, instead of holding hands, they ought to go ahead and shake hands because what they're doing is striking a deal and hoping it'll work. So that's the wrong way to do marriage. What is the right way to do marriage? The right way to do marriage is to treat it as God designed it, and that's a covenant. A covenant is a biblical term, and the Bible tells us that God is a covenant-making God. As a matter of fact, the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, and it's with Noah. God told Noah that because of the wickedness in the world, he was going to destroy all the life that was on the planet. But here's what God said. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your son and your wife, and your son's wives with you. And God made a covenant with him for his good to take care of him, okay? And in the Bible, God made covenants with other people. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And thank God we're in a covenant with him today. By the way, can I teach you a little trivia here that you may or may not know? The, the Bible is, is divided into two divisions, right? The old, y'all sound horrible. Sound like you're in a box. The old, Testament and the New Testament. Guess what word Testament means? Covenant. Testament means covenant. So you could say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the Old Covenant, the Old Testament is what Israel was in. We're in the New Covenant or the New Testament. Just a little trivia right there. So here's what I want to say to you today. Marriage is viewed in the Bible as a covenant between a man and a woman. And by the way, let me just stress between a man and a woman, okay? Everybody has got to be politically correct and scared to death, but God raise up men and women of God who'll stand in pulpits and declare the truth that marriage has been designed by God and despite what's on our books in America and despite what the United States Supreme Court said, and with no hatred in my heart but love for all, I declare today that marriage is designed by God as a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. There it is. With love in my heart. Now you say, well, what about, you know, those who, I don't know. I don't know what you call it. They can call it a marriage, but it's not. Well, the legally, legally they can call it a marriage, but in the eyes of God who made marriage, it's not, okay? They can call each other husband and wife. Listen to me, but they're not because that's not how God designed it, okay? If I build a Harley Davidson motorcycle, but I wanted to call it a tuna fish, I can call it a tuna fish all day long. I can get a judge to come in and say, that's a tuna fish. But you know what? It ain't a tuna fish because I made it. It's a Harley Davidson motorcycle, right? A pig or hog or something. I don't know. Some, something they call them. I don't ride motorcycles. Probably should have picked another example. I want to show you some scriptures from the Bible because God's word is our reference point because it is the source of truth for us. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, a father warns his son to avoid an immoral woman who, and I quote, forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now just stop right there. The covenant of her God. Listen to me. You say, Pastor, you know, you get up there, that microphone, man, you make these bold statements. We're applauding you, but aren't you scared? No, I'm not scared. I'm really not. I'm not scared because first of all, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling the truth, okay? 
Just telling the truth, God's truth. But I'm also knowing that this is a critical issue, y'all. We've got to understand this because in the eyes of God, marriage is a sacred covenant. It's sacred. That's what he just said. She forgot the covenant of her youth with God. With God. It's a covenant. It's just not a covenant with your spouse. It's, it's a divine covenant. God is involved in this matter. I remember, and see, when you don't have that concept, it blows everything. I remember the first wedding I ever did. Phil and Deb, you're here. You were there when I was at Praise Cathedral all those years ago. Uh, I was 22 years old, had my license, my, my, my credentials, and uh, never done a wedding. And somebody in the church, wasn't, wasn't people at Praise Cathedral, somebody who knew somebody, they needed a minister. And they called me, they said, would you, they need a minister. Would you marry him? I think, man, yeah, I could do my first wedding. So we go to downtown Greenville, this place, and we go in there, and, and uh, I knew I was in trouble when during the rehearsal, as we're talking about marriage and, and what could, you know, just there were certain things, and, and somebody said, well, you know, what if the preacher doesn't show up or something? I don't know why. And, and, the, and the groom said, well, he said, all the church does just putting its seal of approval on anyway. They don't, they're not really involved in it. It's really just a legal transaction. I knew we were in trouble right then because it's not just putting a seal of approval on it. Okay, you better get God's seal of approval on it because God's going to put his seal on it whether you like it or not. You can go up to Gatlinburg to a chapel or you'll get you the justice of the peace and it doesn't matter. You got to have, God's going to put his seal on it because it's a divine institution. Are you with me? So I knew I was in trouble then. I knew I was in trouble the next day when I came to the wedding and when I was with the groomsmen talking to him, he was so, they had gotten so blasted the night before that he reeked with alcohol. I could hardly get through the ceremony because of the alcohol that was coming off of him hitting me in the face. But the worst part of all was two years later, I was playing golf at the, at the Greer Country Club and there's this parallel uh, fairway. So the green's here and the next tee box is here. And as I finished up on this green, I looked over and I saw him and I recognized him. I went over and talked to him and he didn't even remember me. <laughs> I made a big impact. And I reminded him, he said, oh yeah, yeah. I said, hey, how's your marriage doing? He said, oh, it didn't work out, we're divorced. So I guess my first, my first marriage knot was a slip knot. It broke my heart. See, he went into it as a contract. He went into it with the wrong mentality. He didn't see it as sacred. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse eight, Israel was acting like an adulterous wife because they were worshiping false gods. Be like cheating on your, your husband or your wife. And so God spoke to them and referring to his relationship to Israel, he said, yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God. See, he's talking about a marriage context. And he said, I entered into a covenant. Are you seeing this? It is a covenant that you enter into. Uh, we're gonna put this on the screen. I know I didn't read it before. Julia, can you go back to the, to the text of Malachi and throw that up? So here's, here's what God said. God's talking to the people of Israel. And he said, here's the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, because he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. You're coming to church, put this in modern terms, you're worshiping, you're praying, you're crying, and you're saying, oh God, I can't feel you. I can't feel you. Why don't I feel your spirit? Why is everybody else getting blessed? Lord, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. God, help me. Here's what God said. Yet you say, why? For what reason? Why is this happening to me? God said, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by what? Covenant. Can't get any plainer than that. You enter into a covenant and they were just divorcing their wives for any old reason. And God said, mm -mm, don't come to church and get all worshipful and 
snotty and cry and get your mascara running when, when you're divorcing your spouse for no reason just because we're incompatible. Okay, he said, it doesn't work that way. It's a covenant. You made an agreement. And so I want you to see the seriousness. So what is seriousness of this? So what is a covenant? Like a contract, it's an agreement made between two persons, but the nature is totally different. So I'm gonna give you five things this morning. I hope you'll write these down or type them in your phone or something, okay? Number one, covenant is initiated for the benefit of the other person. Covenant is initiated for the benefit of the other person. In a contract, it's very self-focused. But in a covenant, it's spouse-focused. Did you get that? In a contract, I'm self-focused. My needs have to be met. But in a covenant, I'm spouse-focused. I want to meet your needs. That's all I want to do. I just want to make you happy. I want to bless you. What can I do to help your welfare, your well-being? That's a covenant. I'm going to use two stories from the Bible that are not marriage relationships, but make my point so well. The first one is the relationship between Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. You know, King David, David with a slingshot. The king at the time, his name was Saul. And Saul served the Lord initially, but then he got away from God. And he wasn't serving the Lord anymore. And so God looked at him and said, you know what? Because you're not serving me, I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm gonna give it to a boy named David. He's, he's a man after my own heart and his children and their children, their children, their children, they're gonna be, they're gonna be the kings, the succession to kings. And here's the weird part. You know who Jonathan was? He was the son of Saul. He was the king's kid. He was supposed to be next in line. Yet he knew that his daddy had messed up he knew that God had taken the anointing off of his dad and he knew that whatever was there before for him when his daddy died, it's gone. Now, yet David is his best friend. So he didn't look at David and say, you know what? I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you because God gave it to you and not me. I should get it, not you. You should be giving it to me. You, I, you know what I think you ought to do? I think you ought to give this thing up and give it back to me right? Matter of fact, I hate you and you're not my friend anymore. You're my enemy. My daddy didn't like you. I don't like you anymore. See what could have happened? That's not what happened. Jonathan looked at him and said, I know my dad messed up and I know I don't get it anymore. I know because God designs this. See, God determines what marriage is. God determines. He said, so I know God's determined who's going to be the king. So here's what, you're my best friend. I love you with a love as, uh, the, the greatest love that I can have for you, David. I can't love you anymore. And by the way, some people try to turn that into something homosexual, which is really stupid, okay? Just don't ever buy into that. These, these were just two grown men, warrior men, who had an incredible love and passion for one another as grown men. It was, it was plutonic, it was pure. They were men of God. And Jonathan said, you know what? I know what could have been for me, but that's not there. That's, that's irrelevant. It's all about you now. You're the king, it's on you. And here's what I'm going to do. You're my best friend. I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to help you be the best king that, you, that this nation has ever had. I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be right there to help you. Be. Sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Honey, I love you. I'm going to be right by your side for, for you to succeed and do, do to be the best husband, to be the best wife. I'm there. I'm going to help. Do you see the connection? All right. And there was this incredible love. Let me show you this. My dad talked about this last week. Dad, you talked about Naomi and Ruth. And if you weren't here last Sunday, by the way, you missed a fantastic message. And I encourage you to get online and listen to my dad's message. Uh, I hate the clock kind of messed up some people. But 
I'm going to just recap it in case some of you weren't here or you don't know the story. There is a woman in the Old Testament. Her name is Naomi. She was married, had two boys. A famine was in the land. So they go to the land of Moab because there's not a famine there. While there, her two sons marry two Moabite women. In the course of time, Naomi's husband died and her two sons died. Now you have three widows. Naomi hears that the famine has ended in Israel. Now she's a foreigner in the land. And she looks at her daughters-in-law and says, you know what? Um, I'm going home. I don't expect you to go with me. Go back to your parents' house. I'm not gonna have any more kids, obviously. There's no way I can give you sons. So go remarry, go back to your, you know, go on with your lives. One of them did, but the other one, Ruth, said, oh no, I'm sticking with you. Now I'm going to read to you what she said. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine you're at a wedding. I want you to imagine that the bride and the groom are saying this to each other and listen to it. You ready? Here's what Ruth said. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Man, that's like, you looks like getting married, isn't it? See, Jonathan and David entered into a covenant. Ruth and Naomi entered into a covenant. And Ruth said, I know that you're an elderly widow and you have nobody and you're going back home. I'm sticking with you and I'm gonna help you and I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna bless you. You've been good to me, but I'm gonna be good to you and I'm gonna help you and we're gonna live together and we're gonna die together. We're gonna make it together. And she lived up to her end. She did. But do you understand what I'm talking about today is this sense of it's benefiting the other person. In a covenant marriage, each spouse is committed to the other's well-being. I have spent many, many years now doing this. And I did it yesterday. Regina, I didn't know you'd be here. I figured you'd be wiped out. But it was her son that got married. I saw, looked back and saw you there. Um, Quentin and Susanna stood there at that Cokesbury College. We had a beautiful ceremony yesterday. It was gorgeous. It was a beautiful wedding, beautiful wedding. And, uh, and I did this at every wedding. And I told, I told them, and some of you know this, you've sat in the office with me. I've told you, I'm gonna do two things. I want you to face each other so people can see your face. And the second thing is, I'm gonna talk about covenants and contracts. And so yesterday I told the congregation was there. I said, okay, now here's what's happening today as these two exchange vows. Quentin is saying to Susanna, my whole life, every day of my life is about you. It's not about me. I don't care whether or not you meet my needs. I'm gonna spend every day taking care of you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna make you happy. I'm gonna make you the best wife you can be. I'm gonna help you follow your dreams. Anything I can do, I'm gonna do everything I can to lift you up. You know, so many people get to a point in their marriage, they're just tearing each other down. You've lost your way. You're supposed to build it. And so I didn't say that. I didn't say that yesterday. Regina knows. But anyway, I just threw that in. And then I said, Susanna's going to say the same thing to Quentin. Is I'm going to spend every day. Whether you not, you meet my needs. I'm going to make you the best man you can be, the best husband. I'm going to be there to help you and to meet your needs and take care of you, provide for you. And every day is just going to be about blessing you. Y'all, that's covenant. That's covenant. You're looking to meet your spouse. Whether she, whether she meets yours or not, you're looking to meet his. Whether he meets your needs or not, Okay, now look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if selflessly I'm meeting Leah's needs without regard for my own, 
But at the same time, Leah is meeting all my needs selflessly without regard for her own. Both our needs are being met. But it's not being manipulated. It's not being demanded. It's not being conditioned. It's purely out of love. That is how you make it 31 years. That is how you make it, mom and dad, this year will be 55 years. That's how you make it. Because you look out after the other person, okay? Um, many people go into marriage wanting to be happy. Having a clear idea what the spouse should do. <laughs> and, and if you'll just do these things, this is going to work. You got the wrong concept. Because what you're going to do is have your own personal agenda for them. And you're going to try to make them become something that you want them to be to meet your needs. And all you're going to get is pain and frustration. It's not going to work. And if today you say, Pastor, you, you kind of stepping on my toes a little bit because that's where we are in our marriage. Let me give you some good news. You can change. You know, if you say, he's like this and she's like this, here's the best thing I've learned. Quit looking at them and just get in a mirror and look at yourself. Because I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips, but the reality is there might be some broken chips in that bag. So the best thing you could do, and even if your bag of chips is not broken, listen to me. Still, the best thing you can do is look in the mirror and then look at them and say, what do I need to do to bless them? And I'm going to finish with this in just a moment, but I'm going to give you something that can help you every day. Here, how can I make my marriage better? Get up, get up, start today. Get up in the morning, do the same thing every day. If you have to write it down, if you have to write it on the mirror and let it stare you in the face, take a bar of soap, whatever you got to do, and say, what am I doing to make her happy? What am I doing today to make him happy? What is his needs? What are her needs? How can I meet those needs? And if you live your life saying, I want to just bless my, I'm at the point now with Leah, where, you know, we're both 53 years old and I'll tell her at times, I just want, babe, all I want is I just want you to be happy. That's all that matters. All, it's all that's ever mattered. But I just tell her now more than ever, all I want, I want you to be happy. You just tell me what makes you happy. And the thing is, she does the same thing with me. And she says, you know, I'm going to make you happy. And so that's how you do it. You say, I want to just, I want you to be, I want to take care of you. There is a verse in the Bible, Philippians chapter two, verse four. I mean, I think they ought to, I think they ought to put this in every wedding. Paul wrote it to believers, but just for marriage, this is perfect. Y'all ready for this? Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's it. You know, you're going to have to take care of yourself. You know, brush your teeth. You better look out for your own interests. You know, take care of yourself. Wash your hair and take a shower every once in a while. <laughs> but look out for the interest of others. That's how you make marriage work. So that's one. In two, in covenant relationships, people make unconditional promises. Not conditional promises, unconditional promises. In the Bible covenants, this is so interesting. God was committed to the nation that he made a covenant with or to the person that he made the covenant with, but sometimes the nation of Israel or the person he made a covenant with would fail him. Here's what's so interesting. God would not say, okay, this is over. You blew it. One time, one and done. It's over. I'm not doing this with you. No, he would not revoke the covenant. He would stick to the covenant. But he would then 
expect, however, the person or the nation to cooperate with him and do their part because it takes two to do their part if they were gonna enjoy the benefits of the covenant. Now, let me show you how this works in marriage. Um, let's uh, suppose that a husband makes a covenant, not, not even a contract. You know, we talked about those moral, informal, con this is a covenant. The husband said, you know, honey, I know I haven't listened good. I get to read in the paper. I'm on my phone. I'm watching Sports Center. You're trying to tell me something. And I know I'm a terrible listener. I'm, I'm making a covenant with you that from this day forward, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to look you in the eyes. And I'm going to talk to you every day. And I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to do the talking. I'm going to listen to you. I'm gonna, I want to hear your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas. I'm going to share. Ladies, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay, men, you heard all that. The women really want you to listen. So, okay, men, and so men, so, we, so a man commits to it. The husband commits to it. Even if it's boring, even if it's about getting her nails done and she's telling everything that happened when she's getting her hair cut, you know, and telling all the little, because women love details generally, and so they're telling all the details and we're like, would you just get to the main point, you know, can we move on? But instead, you're just, you're like this. You get your, you look her in the eye. You know, your eyes are glazing over, but you shake yourself and you just, I'm, I'm with you, babe. Keep going. Just tell me. And uh, sounds like experience talking here, doesn't it? And so Leah's not here, so I'm safe. And, but, but you commit. All right, here's the thing. That's great. You're committed. All right, but what if, ladies, what if the woman won't talk? And the husband says, look, babe, I made a commitment to you. I, I listen to you. Talk to me. Share with me. I'm ready to listen. He's committed. He's not going to revoke it. You know, one day she won't talk. He said, look, that's okay. Maybe tomorrow you want to talk to me. Well, here's the thing. For her to enjoy the benefits of his covenant, she's got to do her part. She's got to talk to him. Okay? That's how marriage works. Okay? Um, this is why covenant marriages are characterized by unconditional promises. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. It's called, they're called wedding vows. I always tell couples, we're going to do all, we're going to do a unity candle. We're going to pour sand. We're going to, we're going to, Jerry and Mary Beth did the coolest thing, by the way. They got married on her dad's property in Florida. And they had this big oak tree with, you know, the moss, Spanish moss covered oak trees. It was cool. And, and we did it in the evening. And after the ceremony, they had cut a path they got lots of, lots of land. They cut a path through these oak-covered trees with Spanish moss, and they hung lights up everywhere and put up tents and tables. It was magical, man. We didn't have to drive over 30 minutes to Disney World. We had Disney World right there. It was cool. They did the most cool thing I've ever seen. They had a brand made up with J&M. Isn't that cool? And they branded a piece of wood on a tree. Instead of a sand or a unity candle, they they tree got struck by lightning. <laughs> I don't know if that bodes anything for them, but Jaron, hopefully that's okay. But uh, isn't that the coolest thing? But I tell couples, I say you can do all that stuff. I say you can have the singers and all the songs, but listen to me, all that's fluff. I said the only part that really matters is when you stand and you make vows before God and before people who are, they're not just the family and friends, they're witnesses to a covenant action where you're making vows. And you know, the Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Some of y'all saying, I don't want to get married. 
It's okay. So you make unconditional promises. And that's why you say, will you have this man or this woman to be your wedded husband or wife, to live together at the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love him or her, comfort him or her, honor him or her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep thee only unto him so long as you both shall live? See, unconditional. What if they get sick? What, what if your wife's body changes? Because most women will tell you it does as you get older. What if he loses all his hair? Okay, what if he gets sick? What if he loses his job? Because men, unfortunately, find their identity in what they do. And by the way, the antidote to that is just go back and remember who you are in Christ. Men, your job doesn't determine who you are. Jesus does. You can always find another job. But what if he loses his job? That's devastating to a man. What if you go through financial difficulty? What if you lose everything? What if a child dies? What if a child gets sick and you have medical bills out the roof? You still gonna love each other? You can't have conditions. Can't have conditions. That's a contract. You just say, we're gonna go through this. Do you wanna go through it by yourself anyway? No, that's the great part is even when you go through the storm, at least you're not in the boat alone. I used to look at Leah, I said, you know what I do? God could just up and move me anywhere. And she said, like Ruth, wherever you go, I will go. She said, you just tell me, we'll start packing, babe. Because wherever you are, that's where I'm going to be. That's sweet, isn't it? I wish she was here right now. I can't wait till she gets home. I miss her. Third, covenant relationships are based on a steadfast love. Steadfast love. The Old Testament word is hesed. The New Testament word is agape. And by the, word, by the way, hesed in the Hebrew can also mean covenant. Isn't that cool? So the word for love can also mean covenant. That ought to tell you right there, if you're gonna have a covenant, you gotta have, somebody ought to write a song. Now you can make a contract with a stranger, right? Y'all wanna hear a little story? I know we got just 50, I told you this is a little bit longer. I'm getting coming to the end. All right, you wanna, you wanna know a little bit about your pastor's life? So you know I love to fish, right? Like I fish year-round, okay? I fish year-round, I love to fish. I have been fishing a lot lately because right now the fish are biting. It is fun. I, have a, I had a boat and, and it's a 1995 model. Uh, so it's a, it was an older boat, but I thought this boat would last me forever. Never really thought about ever, never said I was gonna buy a boat. I said, I'm not gonna buy a new boat. I just can't see me buying a new boat. So I had my boat, having fun with my boat, took my boat out the other week, just last week, with one of the members of the church, went to push the pedal, the hot spot, to take off, and when I did, the motor went, something like that, and just acted wild, and I said, whoa, and I let off, and I said, uh-oh, I said, something's wrong. And, and so I tried it again, same thing. And so we had just enough power that I could touch the hot spot and do about six or seven miles an hour. Fortunately, we weren't far from the ramp. And so we putted our way back, loaded up the boat. And I have a really, really good personal friend who is a major boat repair guy here in Anderson. And I called him, he said, meet me at the shop. I said, no, man, it's seven. And he said, meet me at the shop. So I met him at the shop, started running all the compression tests, Pulled the head off, looked up in the cylinders. The pistons looked in there, turned around. I could see the look on his face. He said, well, you better call the preacher for a funeral. I said, what does that mean? He said, you blew your motor. It's dead. So I'm boatless. I've been in mourning. And uh, 
And so I've been trying to figure out what to do. You can have it rebuilt, but that costs a lot of money, and it's a 95. Do you want to rebuild a 95 motor? And then I could buy a brand-new motor on there. Well, I got a, you know, they're expensive, by the way. You don't even want me to say prices for They're expensive. And so I'm thinking, do I want to spend that much money to put on a boat but on a 95 hull? And, and then I'm thinking, you know, well, then I could buy a new boat, but I don't want to buy a new boat because I hate debt, but I'm going to be in debt. And so I called Leah. She's in Florida down there having a big time with her friend Kim. And I said, babe, I got to show, oh, babe, that's terrible. I said, I know. And, and, and my wife said, well, look, I said, I'm trying to figure out what to do. She said, well, can't you make payments? I said, well, yeah, you can make payments on anything. But I said, it's, they're expensive. She said, just go get you a new boat. I love my wife. My wife is awesome. I know some of you men right now say, well, I wish my wife was like that. My wife said, babe, just go get you a new boat. It's what you like to do. She said, go. I said, well, I know, but I'm tight, you know, and I, I, had, to, man, I had to work this thing. I'm, and meanwhile, I got two guys in this church that fish with me all the time. They're calling me every 30 minutes. Did you get your boat yet? Did you get that new boat yet? I'm picking on them today. Did you get that new boat yet? I finally said, got the new boat. Well, anyway, so I called, I called a, a place, and I went up, anyway, long story short, I'm going to give me a new boat. I'm going to go into debt. I hate it. I just despise it, but I got to get a new boat. And so I've been on the phone with a guy, and I've been emailing this guy, and hopefully one day next week, I'm going to go up to this place, and I'm going to meet a total stranger, and I'm going to sign a contract with him. You see my point? The boat part was just curious. That was just for fun. But the point is, I'm going to go sign a contract. We sign contract with strangers all the time because it's business, right? Because there are conditions in place that we hope will protect us. Watch this. But you can't do that in marriage. You know what protects your relationship in marriage? Love. And not ooey-gooey romantic love. When you're young, you have ooey-gooey romantic love. It'll go away. Don't worry about it. It'll leave. Just hang on. It'll be gone. It'll be over. It's not a soap opera. Okay, enjoy it. About the first year after that, it just disappears. Can't find it, it's gone. Right? I know you didn't want to hear that, but you know why all these people are laughing? Because they know it's true. Okay? You're not going to have ooey-gooey love at 53. Okay, well, that's depressing. No, you can have some ooey-gooey love time. Okay, but you don't live off of ooey-gooey love, right? When you first five months, it's ooey-gooey love. Okay, but 50, 31 years later, ain't any ooey-gooey anymore. The goo's hardened. Okay, you got to warm it up and heat it up and work at it. It's not easy. Okay, all right, listen to me. If you try to build marriage on romantic love, it's not going to work. Because you're going to have bad days. You're not going to feel romantic. You're going to get sick. You, you, we can make a list of how long. That, that, you can't, that's not sustainable. That's the fake image on television. Ooey gooey love. Okay. Real love is a steadfast, committed love that says in the good times or the bad times, I love. And what steadfast love looks at the positives of somebody and appreciates the positives and says, man, I love him. He's more, he's more of this than he was five years ago. He's a better husband. He, what a great father. He's making more money. He makes me feel secure. I feel safer now in this marriage than I ever did. He just really makes me feel safe. See what I'm saying? You have to look in a, and you know when your marriage is in trouble when all you can do is look at the negatives. But it's an easy fix. Just stop looking at the negatives and go back to looking at the positives again and be thankful and appreciative for, for the good things that are in their life. That's how you make it happen. That's steadfast love. Okay, I'm going to say this because I'm running out of time. I, I have met people. 
I, and I'm not making these up. I, as a matter of fact, I stood right here one Sunday with a woman. I never will forget it. Um, I knew their marriage was having trouble. I had talked to the husband. She, she, anyway, I, I, she talked to me and she opened the door. So I walked through and I, I started talking to her about what, you know, what are you doing? What's happening here? And she looked at me. She said, I just don't love him anymore. I've just, I've fallen out of love. And I said, bull. And I didn't say anything else. But I said, that's bull. That's baloney. I said, that is, that's not how it works. Well, she didn't want to hear that. Preachers say things you don't want to hear. That's why people even go to other churches. So they can get a preacher to tell them what they want to hear. But I told her what she needed to hear. I said, love is not a feeling alone. I said, love is a choice. Well, she didn't want to hear that. I said, you can choose to love it. You're just choosing not to. Now, some of you are saying, I don't believe it. Okay, I'm going to prove it. Jesus asks us to do something that we don't want to do. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Is that what it says? Okay, I don't want to love my enemy. I want to cold cock my enemy. I want to go to his house in the middle of the night with a big knife and slash both his back tires. Don't slash one, slash both, because he can't use a spare. Y'all didn't know I knew all this stuff, did you? This is why Scott Taylor and I used to walk, talk around and say, boy, it's a good thing that we weren't, didn't know each other and weren't saved and ran around. We'd be, I said, we'd be in jail or dead. I said, because we're getting so much, because I don't get back, I get even. I mean, so, so I want to, but yet Jesus says, nope, can't cold cock them. Can't slash your tires. You're going to love them. You're going to love somebody you don't even like. Now, listen to me. If I can do that with a stranger, Surely I can do that with my spouse. I just don't like him right now. Fine. I don't like my enemy either, but I can still love him. Uh, I know I ain't supposed to say words, Pastor, but sometimes they want to come out. I want to cuss him out. They'll cuss. I'll cuss out that little cuss. No. You're not supposed to cuss him. Bless him. Put hot coals of fire on her head. You so mad at her, go buy her flowers and bring them home. Her jaw dropped because she was expecting an argument. Now don't go, here. <laughs> ain't no blessing in that, okay? You're going to have to be a little better about it. Pray for them. You know, if you pray for people, God will warm your heart and change your heart. You start feeling yourself hardening towards your spouse. Get on your knees and start praying for them. It's hard to be mad at somebody you pray for. Okay? All right? Good stuff, right? Love is a choice. Here's the last two. We're going to quit. We're going to go real fast. Number four. Covenant relationships view commitment as permanent. Views commitment as permanent. Go back to Naomi and Ruth. It is saturated with what Ruth said is saturated with permanence. You're stuck with me till the day we die. God's plan is for one man and one woman to be married to each other for life. Now, you notice I haven't talked about divorce and the cases for the divorce. That's not for this sermon today. So I'm not ignoring some of you who have been through divorce or some of you are in situations where your spouse is, is guilty of infidelity. I'm intentionally not going there today because that's not what this message is about. Today's message is about God's ideal. 
And the problem is, I know that if your situation has been infidelity, you couldn't help that. But the problem that I want to deal with is for people where there is no infidelity, but we've lowered the ideal. We need to raise it back to God's standard again. As believers, we know that we're in it for life. And finally, covenant relationships require confrontation and forgiveness. Confrontation forgiveness. I want to just preach this very quickly. Every time God entered into a covenant, especially the people of Israel, they were the worst, man. They would just break the covenant. But God stayed in there with them, but he would confront them through the prophets and say, you need to straighten up. And he would always offer a chance for forgiveness. And you know, do you know in the New Testament, that's the way it is now in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, we're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to stay in right relationship with God. But John wrote, 1 John, brethren, I write these things that you do not sin. But if any man sins or woman, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to end the covenant and send you straight to hell. Is that what it says? No, it says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And God has set the pattern. And so in marriages, you're gonna have failures and there are gonna be times when your spouse is gonna disappoint you. When that happens, you have to confront them because you have to deal with the issue, but then you have to forgive them. And so confrontation is holding someone, holding the spouse accountable for something they've said or done that's been hurtful to you. And some people say, I don't want to confront them. You better confront them or all you're going to do is end up, it's like a wound. It's going to fester and you're going to blow up one day and that is not how you do that. By the way, let me just give you the best advice that has been given for centuries, not decades, centuries. Here's the best advice in marriage. You get into a fight, work it out. You get into a fight and an issue, work it out. If it's 10 o'clock at night, you work it out and you don't go to bed until you get it resolved. And that's not just human, that's divine advice. Let not, your ang- let not the sun go down on your anger. The best, everybody in who's been married a long time will tell you, work it out. Fuss, whatever you gotta do, argue if it takes an hour, but get it resolved and forgive each other so that you can go to bed in peace. Because, and by the way, you have to forgive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So this thing of bringing up stuff from the past every time you get in an argument is counter God. It's not of God. Because the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. That's a defense mechanism. But you don't need it. You're not in it to win a battle. You're in it to restore a relationship. Good Lord, that was good enough right there. I ought to just quit and we ought to go home. <laughs> Lee and I, we, all, we, you know, we, had, we had fights. Our problem is we were both athletic and we were competitive. We had, to get the, we, we had to see who the last one was to get the word in. So we'd just about get it resolved and then I wanted to get the last word in and I'd say something. That started all over again. Because <laughs> she wanted to get the last word in. It's bad when you get two athletes married to each other because somebody's got to win. I used to do that with Jaron. Jaron's always been athletic. You know, you, your daddy, you sure don't want to talk back to your daddy. And I thought I'd finally get him straightened out and he'd have to get one last word in and I'd say, here we go again. <laughs> Bend over. <laughs> I'm going to close with this. Stand with me. I'm going to close with this. I knew this was long. Y'all Okay. The mind can only can take what the seat can endure. And I was talking about this seat. 
So I'm sorry. I, I doubt, I, I knew I had a lot. I knew I did this in the first service. And I just, but there's so much I wanted to share with you today and I'll, I'll try not to be as long the next two weeks. But hopefully this is helping somebody. I'm gonna give you a tool. I found that most people go into marriage unprepared. I found out that most people don't have any tools. They're the wrong tools. There's so much learned behavior from our parents. A lot of it's good, but sometimes it's bad. Some things you don't need to do what your mama did. Some things you don't need to say what your daddy said. If you're in an argument and you wanna confront somebody, let me give you the best tool I've ever seen. And I do this with Leah, okay? If they say or do something that hurts, they're gonna throw this on the screen. Here's what I want you to do. Very calmly sit them down and say, look, I wanna talk to you. Don't get emotional. Don't let your emotions get just to say, I wanna talk to you. You hurt me. And ladies, we men are stupid. We're just dumb. Right, men? Just go ahead and say it, men. You might as well. You've told them. We're just dumb. We're stupid. We don't think. We open our mouth. We say things. We're not even thinking about your feelings. Right, guys? Oh, come on. You're guilty. Don't act like you're all holy on all that. We're just, we're just, we're dumb, okay? All right. And sometimes you got to confront and, and, and Lee and I did this recently. Oh God, I'm running out of time. We did this recently. Uh, we, we, she said something to me and it, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And sometimes it's both. And I thought she was saying something else. Oh, oh it pushed me over the edge. Immediately, I just, blah, I bowed up like a cat. She said, well, what, 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 what was happening? I said, you said, you she said, no, 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 I didn't mean that. What I meant was this. And I went, oh, it was a total opposite. And nothing, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you meant something else. I thought you were, I, I'm sorry, babe. I apologize. She said, well, I'm sorry because I didn't mean to say something that I didn't, you know, because I thought she was cutting, you know, it was going to start an argument. And that can happen. That's why you confront. But sometimes when you confront, you, you're wrong. We men say stupid things. And ladies, sometimes y'all say things. Amen, pastor. That's right. So here's what you do. Look at him and say, would you say, fill in the blank. When you do this, fill in the blank, it makes me feel. And then tell him, disrespected, belittled. It makes me insecure. It scares me. It makes me feel like you don't love me anymore. Tell him how it makes you feel. If there's true love, and nine times out of 10, there is your spouse will go oh God I, I, I didn't know that I, I don't want you to feel that way I'm, I'm sorry I didn't know that was I mean I just, we're arguing I just I didn't know it made you feel yeah that's what it makes me feel I'm sorry I won't do that again it's one of the best tools to build your marriage try it make it go home and talk in the car and say this is what we're going to do I want you to bow your head all over this place. And if you're standing next to your spouse, I'd like you to take him or her by the hand. So for those who are married today, just take your spouse by the hand. And for those of you married, I want you to say, God, thank you for my spouse. No, don't say it out loud. Just a minute, we're gonna pray. But say, just once you say this, thank you for my spouse, call him by name. And then say, God, would you help me for the rest of our marriage to have a covenant relationship. Because maybe a lot of you will say, yeah, pastor, we got a covenant relationship. Some of you may say, pastor, I think we maybe got half a covenant, half a contract. Look, why don't you pray about it? Meanwhile, for the rest of us, 
why don't you let anything else that was said today that may apply to you, why don't you talk to Jesus about it? So let's just pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this day. And I know it's a long message and, and, and we're running over. We're going to get out of here, God. But Holy Spirit, I want you to just do a work. I think you've already been doing it through the word. God, touch every married couple. I pray for our married couples. I pray for our marriages all the time that they'll be strong, centered in Christ. God, let them be covenant marriages. If we're doing things wrong in our marriage and we've learned some things today, help us to correct them and make them right. God, I want to see our marriages strong because the devil's trying to attack the marriages. If he can destroy the marriage, he destroys the nuclear family and ultimately he can destroy the church, but he's not going to destroy the church because the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we belong to the church. And so thank you today for our spouses. Thank you, God, for our church. And thank you for covenant marriage. Help us to live that to the fullest. For everyone else, help us to walk in a covenant relationship with you. And we spend our lives doing everything we can to please you out of our deep love for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.